Hi folks, how are you this week? I hope this finds you well. Um, thank you as always for the lovely feedback that we get from the podcast. Whether you listened to last week's episode or whether you found something from maybe 150 episodes ago, I found myself listening back to episode 40 this week, which was with Sophia Coppola. And that's because we have Sophia Coppola coming back on the show in the next couple of weeks. So I very much look forward to sharing that with you. And I really enjoyed stepping back to a previous episode and reminding myself of a lovely chat that we had. But I'm thrilled to be able to bring you this latest episode of Soundtracking as the first thing we've done in front of a live audience post-lockdown. Are we post-lockdown? Are we still... I mean, I've, I've, I'm lost. But anyway, we did this as part of the London Podcast Festival and I was joined by the one and only Nick Frost before a small, socially distanced gathering at King's Place to discuss all manner of things, including his new Amazon show, Truth Seekers, a comedy horror about a team of paranormal investigators. I know, sounds good. It is. We're very grateful to Nick for making the effort and he was on predictably fine form as you will hear shortly. First, however, a word from our very good friends and my lifesavers at HelloFresh. HelloFresh provides all the, as you'd expect, fresh, seasonal ingredients and step-by-step -step recipe cards to cook up delicious dinners from scratch, delivered straight to your door at a time that suits you. Now, there is a huge range of recipes to choose from and options to suit every lifestyle and taste, including rapid recipes that are on the table in 20 minutes or less, vegetarian options and treat yourself recipes for those special nights in. And those are far and few between at the minute, aren't they? All the ingredients you need for each recipe are included in the box. So you don't have that thing where you open a recipe book and you think you've got all the ingredients and then you go, oh, I forgot to buy the saffron. No, none of that, because everything you need is in the box. There's no need to head out to the shops in the middle of the night to get something you've forgotten. There's also flexible delivery and subscription too. There's no waste either with all the ingredients weighed, pre-portioned in fact, HelloFresh customers waste 21% less food than those who buy from the supermarkets with dishes starting at just £3.44 per person. What is not to like? I genuinely love this service. Not only is the food fresh, delicious and beautifully presented, but the recipe cards are fantastic. They're really easy to follow and it's just so nice to have a new injection of inspiration on the culinary front rather than the five meals that I've been cooking week after week after week. So I thank you, HelloFresh, from the bottom of my heart. Um, you can get 50% off your first HelloFresh box and 35% off your next three after that. Go to hellofresh.co.uk and use the promo code SOUND. That's hellofresh.co.uk with the promo code SOUND. And so then to Mr. Frost, who knows a thing or two about culinary delights. He's a bit of a chef and a bit of a dab hand in the kitchen. But we'll begin our chat with a song from Space, the cult comedy in which he made his name. I give you The Beat Goes On by The All-Seeing Eye.
Oh, it's so nice to actually be here with people because there was obviously a point where we were like, oh man, we're we gonna be able to do this. But it's so brilliant to see, well, kind of see faces from the bright lights. Um, thank you so much for coming along to this um, live record of Soundtracking. And I am so, so chuffed that we could um, have the fabulous Mr. Nick Frost joining us. But before I welcome him out, actually, do you know what? I'm gonna do it first because I've made him a montage. I, I don't know about you, but I love like montages of films and stuff. So I was like, I'm gonna make Nick a montage. He definitely desires one, so I want him to see it. So I think I'm going to bring him out and then we'll show the montage. So ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for the fabulous Mr. Nick Frost. Your microphone is there, my lovely man. Hello. Hello, everyone. I've uh, made you a montage. I know. You. I can't wait to see it. I was hoping there'd be a desk because in podcast you don't have to wear trousers <laughs> so i just wore my shorts today i thought oh there'll be a desk it's still it's warm out there it's fine but oh, it's warm yeah but i get a, a montage so you ready for it yeah oh yes i'm so excited about this bring on the montage hello timmy all right uh sheffield you're doing a sheffield I fell asleep on the tube the tube doesn't go to sheffield mike yeah i know i uh, must have changed the king's cross yeah boy <laughs> Come back up. Not a blue light in sight. I myself had done uh, eight years in prison. What was that for? Mainly violence. Mainly violence, yeah. Montage. I feel like I've died. <laughs> it's I not Skyward. This is your life. Skyward show that. If anybody's old enough to remember, it'd be this nice because I'd see Simon. <laughs> he'd be somewhere in the. He'd come in, right? Where is he? He's doing Mission Impossible oh, somewhere with TC, isn't he? Um, the cruise master. Listen, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. It's so brilliant when you um, when you start thinking about you and music. And there is an amazing kind of story to tell in different kind of areas. So personally, in terms of your musical taste and how much music is a big thing for you as a fan and what it does for you. Um, but then also within films as well. And then also just in terms of really interesting in terms of like characters and Cuban Fury being particularly, you know, kind of interesting in terms of the musical choices of that type of dancing and things. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was really interesting kind of looking back and thinking about where to start with you with music. But what I loved when I was kind of doing a bit of digging about music was you talking about hearing music as a kid and your mum and dad's record collection. Right, yeah. And it being kind of sort of rock and roll, but them only having about seven records. Yeah, they didn't have many <laughs> records at all. It was all Bill Haley or stuff from a label called KTEL. Yeah. Lots of that, and... Uh, they used to come through the post, like, once a month or something. <laughs> Big letterboxes back then. Yeah. Uh, my mum used to love Johnny Mathis, so uh, just a lot of Johnny Mathis. When a child is born. I love it. It was set me off. Johnny <laughs> Mathis is on my... If I have to cry in a scene, I have a playlist on my, on my phone, and there's a lot of Johnny Mathis on there. What other emotional playlists do we have? Uh, Cry? It's just, no, just sadness. <laughs> okay. I can do the others, but sadness I need a bit of help with. A uh, lot of Johnny Mathis and the Welsh National Anthem sung by the, the audience at Cardiff Farms Park. Wow. Oh, my God, it does. It kills me. Yeah? Oh, yeah. man. I feel myself going a bit now. Because <laughs> I look at the faces of those people, I think they're my people. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm Welsh, my mum's Welsh and that. And I don't get that when I watch, like, them play God Save the Queen and we see the scan across the English football fans. I think, oh, that's not me. It doesn't feel like me. Give me my Welsh people. But when I see those hobbit-like people with red beards and short legs, I think, fuck, that's, they're my people, you know, they're mountain folk. 
But then that journey into you discovering your own music and weirdly, I was hearing you talk about soundtracks was actually something you attached and got a connection with straight away and Close Encounters being oh one God, in particular. Yeah, yeah def definitely. I found it in a second-hand shop. Uh, I found that and I found a first edition of the book as well. Oh, wow. And, and when, I, when I worked with Steven Spielberg, clang, uh, I brought the book along for him to sign and he signed it. Oh my God, uh, so I've got a signed first edition. He said, oh my God, I've never seen one of these. It was amazing. Uh, but yeah, I used to listen to the Close Encounters soundtrack at night on my own when I was like a really depressed, frightened 14, 15 year old in this shitty fucking <laughs> flat we lived in. And it just it terrified, it really frightened me. <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, I, 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 I was to get up and turn it off. Had you seen the film? Was that yeah, why you... Yeah, I love the film. Yeah, I love the film. I watched the film when I was, like, 11 years old. My auntie Melanie used to go out with this American guy at work in the Navy. Yeah. He brought pizza around. That was the first time I'd ever tried pizza. Big thing back then. Oh, my God. That was, like, 1983. It was the first pizza I've wow. ever eaten. And he brought a video around of Close Encounters, and we watched it. I used to love that kind of thing of... Of getting going to the video shop and, and getting a rent. big video, yeah, and getting yeah. the box and getting it back, and yeah. everybody kind of waiting to sit on. Well, I was it allowed on. to watch any horror film uh, on a Sunday because my mum and dad were drinking in the pub, and there was a like a <laughs> shop next door which did videos, yeah, and uh, so I could get any horror film I wanted. So I was watching like The Exorcist when I was ten, and <laughs> I spit on your grave like Friday night at the Manchester Morgan, like horrible shit, and then I kind of got a bit. I was all right with that, and then showing other people it when I was like 11, showing like a geezer called Mark, he used to live next door, he was like 11 too, and he ran, out, he ran away screaming. And his <laughs> mum came up and said that I wasn't allowed to play with him anymore. How did you know about these films? Was it just from going into the video shop and sort of looking? Or yeah, I wanted to see the things that I shouldn't be watching, you know. <laughs> it's always that thing with kids. Yeah. Uh, hey, I was going to say, that in that Close Encounters book, yeah. uh, it doesn't show it in the film, but... Do you know the, the big synth he plays at the end? Uh -huh. uh, it explains in the book that the only person who had the most advanced synthesizer in the world at that time, capable of talking to aliens, was Stevie Wonder. <laughs> so there's a scene where the FBI or the CIA or Department of Defense pitches up at Stevie Wonder's house and says, like, we need your synth. No way, yeah, that's really cool. brilliant. Why, why wasn't that in the film? <laughs> they so should have. Yeah, they should have. And they should have had Stevie Wonder in there as well. Yeah. Because you, you lovely full circle on the fact that you included the score, well, the score was included in, um, in Paul, but of yeah. course Encounters soundtrack was in there. Was that written into the script? Yeah, totally. We had, when, we, when we and Simon did the, we did the journey, we, we did the trip that Graham and Clive did, yeah. and uh, we, had, we had it on tape. So we, I forget what the names of the tracks are called, but one of them is called like Approaching Devil's Tower. Yeah. And we had that on as we approached, and there was a moment when we crested a hill and we saw it. And the kind of music goes... It's like, oh, my God, it's fucking amazing. That's lovely, that connection that you had with that as a kid right up to that point. Oh, I loved it, amazing. yeah.
he got, for some reason, he, it's like something we've always wanted to do, to, to go to Devil's Tower. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, he got mega moody <laughs> just as we got there. And so we ended up like, walking around it separately. <laughs> like, it took us 10 fucking days to drive there <laughs> through wow. feet of snow. And then, yeah, we got moody and then didn't talk to each other <laughs> all the way around. <laughs> the, um, where does the fascination with ghosts come from for this new series for Amazon? Because I've seen, been lucky enough to see three episodes of it and it, it comes out end of October, I think yeah, it is, on, on Amazon. It's brilliant. It's really fun. And cool. it's a really, the characters are just, they feel real. Right. You feel like, you know, they're, they're kind of just genuine people and the connections and their yeah. relationships are brilliant. But where did the fascination with that world, because this is something that you've written yeah. as part of, of you and Simon's new production company as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always... My mum was one of seven Pembrokeshire sisters, so they're all eerie as fuck. <laughs> and my auntie Melanie, who I've never seen in the daytime, for real, uh, I think she's a witch or, or a, a vampire, vampire witch. <laughs> Uh, or both would be great, both. wouldn't it? <laughs> um, a bitch. Uh, <laughs> they, they were always telling scary tales about things that had happened to them or so-and-so's son had been killed in a horrible bike crash and then came to visit his mum. And I was always hearing spooky shit growing up as a kid. And it, it was kind of like, that's a part of life, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it isn't. Uh, but I, I, I was always terrified by it, you know. Yeah. But I liked it. I liked that, that feeling in my willet. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you got it. Um, uh. I think that, that, but I think that's a healthy thing rather than kind of like removing it and it not, you not being allowed to kind of yeah. hear those stories or whatever. The fact that you were, I think it's kind of a healthy thing that not only it kind of can spur imagination, but it does instigate intrigue away, in a way, I yeah. think, as well, sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, search for it. Me and Simon were always searching for ghosts and the unexplained, and many a times we'd lay in bed, like, together. In a just, single bed? It, no, this was his futon. Oh, OK. In, he got a futon at some point. And I, I wasn't necessarily... I wasn't meant to be living with them, but they let me live in a spare room that they called the Crab Pit, <laughs> uh, which was a mattress, and then all the shit they couldn't fit in the shed. And that's where I lived. <laughs> So, yeah, we were always, like, terrified and doing that thing that if our feet were out of the quilt, then someone would, someone would bite them off. And we'd, <laughs> we'd, go, we'd ghost hunt a lot, and we weren't popular with the ladies. Uh, Any Ouija never, boards? I never, I've never done a Ouija board. Oh, I did it in a derelict church once. Uh, it was fucking terrifying. Yeah, I'm, I was brought, I'm not a Catholic now, I'm nothing, but I was brought up a Catholic, so... I, was, I found a book when I was a kid, when I was, like, 11, and it, it said that... You can get like possessed, and most possessions happen between the, the age of 11 and 16. And so, all through my secondary school, I was just shitting it that I'd be possessed. And then I'd even sit and think, well, maybe it's not so bad for me. Maybe it'll be really awful for people who have to look after me, you know. But maybe I'd just wake up a bit tired and fucked up and think, oh, what's happened? What a night. What was that? <laughs> what was that five years? Uh, and so on my 16th birthday, I remember feeling, waking up feeling so fucking relieved that I got through that five-year period of not being possessed. As you're watching The Exorcist. Yeah, every night. Mental films yeah. every night. We went to the steps a few times as well, me and Edgar and Simon. So we've been to The Exorcist. Every time we end up going to Washington, Edgar's like, why don't we go to the steps? And so we have to then go and walk up and down the steps. Your impersonation of Edgar is one of my <laughs> favourite <laughs> things of all time. It's He's so great. Good. I love him. I love his laugh. Um, it's funny when I've watched recordings of him at shows, at comedy shows, I can hear his <laughs> laugh recorded in the audience, and I think, oh, Edgar was there. <laughs> so weird. Talk about writing this, this series then, and, and was it always going to be an episodic thing, you know, in, in terms of um, truth seekers? Yeah, I think it was just a chance to make a four-hour film get a grip of the characters and see their lives and the nuance and what they're afraid of and what drives them and what they're running away from and to and stuff that, you know, you can do it in 90 minutes, of course, but it's nice if you've got a lot of time to do yeah. it, you know. I'm going to take a look at a trailer, actually. I've got oh, it here. Yeah. yeah. Can you feel it? Ancient magic resides all around us. 
Ours is not the only universe. There are realms beyond it, underneath it, a myriad of parallel dimensions. Hey, did you steal one of my digestives? No. Welcome, Truth Seekers, to the Truth Seekers channel. Good luck, guys. We're on the cusp of something here. A gateway between worlds. I'll see you on the other side. Careful. I've been a paranormal investigator for 20 years. I'll take it from him. Hello, ghosts! It looks good. It's really good. It really, really is. And it's um how many episodes are there then? Eight. Wow. Yeah. It's and it's it just looks dead sexy as well. It's kind of it's got a brilliant aesthetic to it. Amazon yeah. money. Loving it. Yeah, you got Jim, Jim Field Smith, who you know, he woke us up a bit because we'd written really long, really long scripts. They were like 40 pages long. And then he came in and said it'd be great if they were like 26, just to allow the comedy to grow and to just let it sit. Yeah. And, It'd not be so frantic, and it was a real test to try and get get it down, you know. When you're writing, do you do you have music, uh, playlists well, and stuff? We, yeah, we used a thing called write a duet, so we could be anywhere in the world and and chip into each other's scripts or see each other's scripts in real time. And but me and Nat and James were all in the same room, but with our headphones on and stuff, because we have really different tastes. I've got ADHD, so I listen to really hard acid techno all the time and it's literally all I listen to uh, and there's something about the lunacy and the mayhem that mm -hmm. makes everything all, all right it's like white noise it is exactly like white noise, noise. It, well I know how it works I know exactly what's coming yeah and and in the in the lunacy and the chaos there's a, a calm there and so I write just using that because people people listen to it so they're saying first they say is this some kind of joke and then they're like how can you listen to this in the daytime <laughs> so, but it's all, it's literally all I listen Not to. in a club and not off no. your face. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> it's just that thing in your headphones. So it's really interesting thinking about music in a way that it can, you know, as, as a kind of meditative type thing yeah. as well. And I guess yeah. that type of music in people's minds would be the opposite of meditative. Yes. But that's amazing that it you found something that just kind of almost, yeah. Yeah. Tones everything else down so that you can... Everything is gone apart from that and there's a, a, a focus that comes with it, you know. With something like this where you've written it and you're in it, is it hard to relinquish control or are you still kind oh, of... I was fucking happy <laughs> for someone else to come and <clears throat> take it, you know. It was, a, it, was a real, it was a real job to write it, you know. I think we kicked off... We all wrote episode one and we loved it and then we went off, we divvied out the rest and then just went off and wrote, like, two episodes. E, I had two episodes. It just got bigger and bigger in terms of where we wanted it to go and stuff but we didn't have a clear ending, really. We had lots of great ideas, but none of them were like, that's the end, that's yeah. where we're heading. And it just, it kind of screwed us slightly because we got like nine months in and we were like, fuck, what, now what? You know, what, mm -hmm. how are we going to fix this? How are we going to, what's the end, you know? There was like a, like a really big element to the script that we never thought would ever leave it, you know? It was like a really massive deal, it was like, like a third of the storyline mm. for everyone and the whole thing. And then we got to a point, I don't know who said it, but it was like, let's fucking just take it all out. Let's take every, every bit of it out, every reference to it, and let's just fuck it off. And it took us like two weeks to pull it all out and unplug it all and, wow. and, and to fix the tears. But it was like, yeah, okay, there we go. Well, I guess it's we did it. every different project you write on is a learning experience as well, and yeah. you take something from that kind of forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I never trained to be a writer uh, I left school at 15 I'm I'm dyslexic uh I never trained to be an actor you know everything I've done I've I'm always uh, what's it when you're a, a young lad and you go and join a plumber in the van and he takes you on jobs um, an apprenticeship an apprentice yeah so the job that I do is I'm a, an apprentice you know I'm not I'm never not that even on jobs now you know there's I'm always with the camera guys and or with the editors be. or, uh, you know, yeah. I just like doing it too much to take it for granted. Um, I remember when you, when you had the idea for Cuban Fury. Yeah. And you 
sent that email to Tanira. Yeah. And you you kind of like set it and kind of almost kind of like you know had a glass of wine and sent it. Oh, I was hammered. <laughs> oh my god, it was like three a.m. I wrote this stupid email about. Why don't we do a film where I... I think originally I danced the whole thing. Like, I danced the whole way through, like La La Land, but I did not dance throughout the whole thing. I love that that's what you wanted to do, though. In, in, yeah, inside me there yeah. was a dancer, you know. <laughs> yeah. I want to sing in a film, too. I've never sung. I want to do that. But, yeah, I wanted to dance in a film, and, and I knew that once I'd sent it, then it was out of my control, and I knew that Naira would love it. Yeah. And it was done then. It was like <laughs> six weeks later I was in a budget meeting... I could hear myself saying it again. Yeah, I'm going to do all the dancing myself. Uh, so, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop myself. But it was it needed to get out. That's the whole point. It's like you know, you needed yeah. to. It needed to go somewhere. It was in me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was, uh, but why that specific kind of genre of music and dancing? I don't know. It was it was something I I had personally labelled as something that you know, 50-something people do when their life is kind of ended and they potter around and do a bit of Zumba and, you know, I thought that was it, you know, um, naively. And then I started to do the training process and the training process wasn't just learning to to fuck up someone else's culture in a mirror. Uh, They took me out at, like, three nights a week as well, so I had to go out social dancing, and uh, which was horrendous. But what's cute is... Uh, everyone brings their own dancing shoes. So, like, everyone's trainers are around the outside of the dance floor and everyone's got their dancing shoes on. Have you still got yours? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Did you ever put them on? No, no, I, don't, I haven't put them on. I <laughs> Come don't. on. I really was like, oh, I wonder, if, is he still dancing? Is he still... Uh, I don't think once, once you ignite the fire deep inside your corazón, you, uh, <laughs> you can never quench it. So, I do, I do. I've always danced, so... Um, when I was 16, they asked me to dance at the Brain Club as like a go-go boy, because I was a big raver. I used to r- run off to raves, like, and I'd escape from home and go and dance and so. Yeah, I've got a, a scene from Cuban Fury. Um, there was quite a lot to choose from. I didn't quite know which one. I, I mean, I, I did originally want to show the one where you're kind of Shawnee McShane. He's brilliant in this film. I love yeah, he's he, amazing. He's so great. Where um, you know that you still had it. But then I, I ended up going with the car park scene. Ian McShane, I tell you, once we were doing a, we'd finished for the day, and it was like a Friday, and we'd been doing, uh, what's the film I did with, with Snow White and the Huntsman? Yeah, my... So he was getting his makeup off, and I was, and bear in mind, Ian was like seventy-five. You were all dwarfs, weren't you? We were yeah. all, yeah. yeah. And that's that Welsh Ian, thing. Uh, what are you doing at the weekend, mate? He said, and he was seventy-five, and I was like thirty-five, and he said, yeah, I'm just going to go to Manchester and see mum and dad. You lucky shit! I've got no parents. I'm 39. You've got both of them, and you're 75. I just—I was—I was really amazed by that. That you might still have both parents at 75. It's a really cute thing for it to see. Let's have a look at a clip. All right, bum flap. Let's settle this like men. Winner takes Julia. What about HR? What happens at lunch? Stays at lunch. Love, love that film, and I love how that's edited. Yeah. You know, with, in, but what are you on the, in reality on the day? Yeah. Can I tell them where you were? Yeah. You were at Heathrow. Yeah, in the car park. Yeah, in, <laughs> yeah. in Heathrow. Not LA. It was not LA. <laughs> no. But where, what were you? What, what, what were you dancing to? Had the music been cleared? Had you? What, I mean, would be... uh, it was like a click track, I think. Okay. There might have been some music, but it was just like a the noise. Of yeah. The, the beat. It's quite, is that hard when it's not kind of like, you know, sort of... Oh, no, I'm a professional. You're an actor, yeah. It's weird, whenever I see a scene on TV at, like, a club or a pub or something, yeah. I always say to my girlfriend, there's no music when they're dancing there. Because it's like they can't have any music on, so yeah. everyone just dances silently and 
So then the people can do the dialogue and it not be fucked up, you know? Like, well, that um, scene in Napoleon Dynamite with the Jamiroquai song, the yeah. dance scene, that wasn't being played when he did that, which so, blows my yeah, mind it's because it's so part of the... It's mental, that. Yeah. But I guess that must be the case a lot of the time with when you've done scenes in films that have had music playing, like in World's End with Step Back in Time with Kylie. Yeah. You know, for the... When you go back and when you go into the club, yeah. And um, but on the re- in reality, I mean, I, maybe by that point, with the, those many films down the road, Edgar can kind of get the clearance before you go in. Or I mean, what was yeah, the case? Yeah, we had that? that on set. We okay. heard that playing on set. But that's not always been the case, I guess, with those films in terms no, of I when mean, music's I guess usually played. like when you got like a no, not at all. I mean, I don't think we had a lot of music in. I mean, we had music in mind for space and stuff, but I wasn't sure how much we could clear. And I think it's got. I mean, Edgar always knows what music he wants because we always get like a little CD before we start shooting. And is that a CD for your character or is it a CD for the film as a kind for of... The, like a lookbook, like a feel, <laughs> like a feels <laughs> disc. Can I say that? Edgar's feel disc. Edgar's feels disc. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're cool, you know. It just gives you a feeling of the vibe. Yeah. And does that include stuff that he's hoping to put in the film as well? Then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I rewatched that that clip, actually. I was, I was kind of... I had to stop myself from putting up too many clips of... Um, of all the films. Um, I have got a question from Edgar, actually, not on video, but he... um, For me? Yeah. Okay. Question from director Edgar Wright. If it were up to you, (laughs) would all of the films we've made together feature non-stop Belgian hardcore house? Tell him that he earned maximum cool points forever when Jamie XX sampled his spaced clubbing episode dialogue for All Under One Roof Raven. And I've made you our... Spotify playlist here that if I can get it up. You like junglish music? Jungle is it? Uh, yeah, I think it would. <laughs> well, look, I'd love to see an edit with it. That would just, be great. That maybe would... I could just pick some some banging... I'm not into Belgian hardcore. I'm into okay. uh, acid techno. It's a London scene, you know, it's a squat squat party thing. Okay. I heard you talking about some brilliant stuff, though, that you were... You were I love how you kind of really get into that world of... You know, of kind of, if you like this, you'll like this sort of yeah, thing. And yeah. it kind of, the journey that that can take you on. Yeah. And you were talking about kind of discovering stuff from Holland. And I think you mentioned yeah. Belgium as well, sort of yeah. thing. And it just kind of going, God, this is... I like some gap, but some of it's quite funny to listen to because you think, fucking hell, what is going on here? <laughs> My Even ADHD you is not that. fucking that bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, but I, that's where I started, you know. When I was 16, 15, it was, I lived in Essex and so... We were a little gang of Herberts and we'd drive around in Matthew Miller's 1.3 litre uh, escort estate and we'd go to Sunrise and, and rain dance and things and we'd be fucking terrified by older men. Like, just, I don't know, when you're 16 and you're at a rave and these are new things and then there's like a guy who's six foot five and he's 40 and he's got a snake. Or, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Someone, just weird people, you know? Yeah. They become less weird as you become one of them. Or, you know. Have you got a snake? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a snake anymore. <laughs> but I remember going to Reading when I was 16. I don't really speak to him anymore. He's on Twitter, but it was a, 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 a mate of mine at school called George Chesterton. And he was like, he was a cool guy. And he liked music that I'd never heard before. And he was like, you know, listen to this. And it was like the Pixies and Mud Honey and... The Wedding Present and Sonic Youth and just fucking cool stuff. Uh, uh, and then we all went to Reading Festival together when I was 16. And uh, we went and pitched our tent and then went to have a few beers in the town centre. And between pitching our tent and going to have beers, I decided that I fucking hated it and I was really terrified. So we'd had like 10 pints and then I said, oh, I'm going to go to the toilet. And I went home... <laughs> I went, I got on the train and got, just got to Paddington and phoned up my dad to say, come and get me. Oh, and I've never been to a festival since. I just thought of it as too much for me. Wow. I just don't like, uh, I like my own bed. <laughs> and yeah. I just, just fucking weird people, you know. 
I um, I loved you talking about your first ever gig at Kentish Town Forum. Yeah, farm. to see the farm. Uh, again, it went on too too late, and we'd missed our train. And we were from like, you know, we lived in in Essex, so I'd never been to Kentish Town before. It was a fucking weird guy with a snake, like a woman with a crow it's following me. <laughs> uh, yeah, like people with staffs. And uh, we, had to, <laughs> we had to phone up Daniel Hunter's dad to come and get us, and he was fucking livid. He was from livid. Essex. Yeah, he came all the way from from like Ilford to come and get us. But having to sit under that, what's that thing called, the Vulture's Perch? It's like that bit of metalwork. It used to be a market in there. Yeah, but yeah. But having yeah. to sit in there at like half eleven on a Thursday night for an hour and a half while Daniel Hunter's dad came to get us was was perhaps the uh, I was terrified for ninety minutes. How with the farm? Oh, they were great. The groovy train smashed the fucking roof off the place. kid of like just being being cut Slashed. by some lunatic yeah. yeah as well as being possessed uh but like being in london you and like, watched way too many oh horror God. films at such a young I age know. <laughs> but like having conversations would you rather be stabbed or slashed and it was always like i'd rather be stabbed any day of the week because slash you just they're not going to put you to sleep and they're just going to put so many stitches in you but if you get stabbed it's like hey, you have operation and then you wake up and you're all right, you know? Was this from sitting waiting for your, da- the, your for mate's dad to come up? Yeah, just terrified. <laughs> thinking, oh, fuck, someone's going to cut me. Kentish Town had Some a... guy with a raven's going to come and open me up. <laughs> well, Kentish Town really had an effect on you. <laughs> yeah, well, I ended up living there with Michael, Smiley and Simon, like, years in the crab pit. Yeah. That was Kentish Town. Was Literally it? just around the corner, yeah. That's hilarious. You I must have gone back to the, the forum since then, then. Oh, uh, maybe. Maybe I went to some drum and bass thing there. <laughs> New Year's house party. In a day, one. yeah. I've forgotten so much of that shit. <laughs> yeah. It's just not there. I just look at it thinking, where is it? I think one of the first times I, that I met you was at a gig. Can you remember it? Was it the Blue Tones? No. It was at Wembley. Oh, shit. See, yeah. I, I don't even remember going ever being at Wembley. Do you know at Wembley Arena? It's Coldplay. Uh, okay, fine. Yeah. Right, yeah, I remember that. Simon wasn't playing harmonica that night. Um. <laughs> oh, my God. The amount of times I had to talk him... I didn't talk him out, to be fair. I just let him talk, talk well, on talk about... Talk him up, rather than... Him being down. the fifth member of Coldplay, because <laughs> they got him a jacket. Oh, my <laughs> fucking hell, it's not... Like, inside, I was saying, you're not. He's not really. But then I see his little face, and he's got his jacket on, and he's... I think, <laughs> oh, fuck it, why not? Yeah, right. Exactly. Forsty's bubble. Yeah. No, it's not up to me, you know? <laughs> Um, I want to talk about Paul as well because we've talked about it briefly just in terms of that lovely kind of full circle with Close Encounters but when you were writing that and you you know you physically went on this trip and this genuine kind of interest in this whole kind of science fiction thing as well but was that an easy or a hard film to write because you had such a kind of personal attachment to this whole journey and the story really? I don't know. It, it just kind of happened. I think Simon was really busy, and it was like we needed to get it done. Yeah. So I rented like a like a room in a. I went to like some place in Gloucestershire and rented a room for like a month, and came back with like a massive, two hundred and fifty page draft. It was like really enormous, and just shit. You know, it was like the worst version of anything. Is always I've, something I've come to learn writing this is. It's all right if it's shit, as long it's as you've got draft. something, you know. Yeah. So it was, it, it, it worked because we had something then, and then the two of us knuckled down, and I think he became less busy on whatever he was doing, and we could carve it out and 
there were lots of twisters in the original. What, like twisters in the yeah, weather? Yeah, tornadoes. Okay. Like I yeah. had a thing that aliens the used tornadoes. <laughs> oh, that would be great. <laughs> like aliens used tornadoes to hide themselves. But I, I used it as a device to fire an American agent as well, like years later when he, I had like a manager who was in a screening and my agent walked in and then left after 20 minutes. And I, I didn't like him anyway, so I phoned him up and said, hey, man, how was, what did you think of the film? He said, oh, man, it was fucking amazing. It was great. I said, what did you think of the tornado at the end? He said, man, it blew my mind. And it was like, man, you're fucking fired. There's no tornado, you <laughs> jerk off. That's brilliant. Yeah. How much music was written into the script, though? Because there's, there's a lot of tunes in there. Yeah, you know, there's a well, lot of... they, they, we always listened to a lot of music. We had loads of music on the... That was part of our, play, our, our process to just get stuff on the playlist. Yeah. And it's, it's another... Th you know, you get someone like Greg Matola who directed it, and he's, he's such an auteur, and he's got his own sense of... I'm kind of jealous of Greg's life. He's so fucking cool, you know. He lives in Manhattan and he plays jazz a lot and his kids are fucking cool and his kids have got long hair. You're pretty cool. Ah, uh, you know, I have my moments. Paint, you right? Sure. <laughs> you learnt hardcore techno? Let's have a look at a clip. <laughs> uh, so, he, you know, he had his own ideas and stuff. Yeah. So you, I think you, you have to learn to hand it over and to trust mm -hmm. uh, who you, who, who's going to direct, you know. Well, I think it's kind of really interesting when you look at the the direct the the composers on the films that you've written as well, like David Arnold on on Paul and Daniel Pemberton on Cuban Fury yeah. as well, who's kind of gone on to like, I mean, he's done amazing stuff. Really, I don't think we could afford him now. <laughs> I don't know. I reckon we do we'd, another one. I, I reckon we definitely do another one. He's, I mean, his stuff's extraordinary. Like Spider Man and the Spider Verse. Yeah, it was amazing. Film was it I love that was film. absolutely brilliant. And then that to Motherless Brooklyn with Ed Norton and stuff. He's just got this. He's just yeah. He's a bit he of did a space as well. I think. I think he did some bits on space. Did he? Yeah. Oh wow! I didn't know that. I think Edgar's known him for. Yeah. Is it was that kind of a weird thing because was it like the anniversary recently was it's kind of it's still this amazing thing uh, that uh, still connects and almost yeah. like new generations of people are being introduced to it and yeah, yeah, every time there's an opportunity to celebrate it people want to yeah i think that's cool it's a cool thing right yeah i mean i'm terrible because i don't look back i'm yeah. always going forward because i kind of think as much as i love space then it was the first thing i ever did and you know i'd like to think it's not going to be the best thing i ever do maybe there's something better in there that i can do or i'll find something in 10 years or you know let's let's keep trying to find that you know yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Right, I've got, uh, got a question for you, actually, from someone. This guy. Hello, Nick. <laughs> um, Edith asked if I would pose a question, but I couldn't really think of one. He looks tired. Because I sort of know everything about you, or a lot about you at least, and um, I didn't want to ask you a, a sort of like, what's your favourite job you've ever done question, because it was probably that John Am Martin Amos, John Amos. Martin it's fine Amos with my family, did, Simon. And not something you did with me. And I didn't want to put you in that position, although I'm sure you'd gladly, you'd gladly say that. <laughs> so I'll ask you this instead. How the fuck are those camels looking, mate? <laughs> oh, weird question. <laughs> Do you want to answer it? Uh, it was a guy that we live with in a flat. Uh, what was his name? I think his name was Matt. But he was from Australia and he was working in musical theatre. Yeah. He was like a friend of a girlfriend that we knew and he came to stay in a room. And uh, that was his thing, because I smoked camels. And he'd say, how the fuck are those camels looking, mate? Which meant he wanted a cigarette. Yeah. But he said it all the time, all the really time. Really terrifyingly? So, yeah. <laughs> We've got a clip of, um, in a bit, in a second, from um, Shaun of the Dead. Because the music in that is kind of really clever. But I wanted to talk about the, the record box scene. Yeah. Because um, you reference so many artists... In shot, but then also there's a cutaway where it's the back of you and you hear some artist names kind of yeah. mentioned because I only learned this recently that even if you reference an artist's name in a film, you have to get clearance for it. Yeah, which anything. Which is fucking bonkers. Yeah, it is. Um, even, like, even people's names? Yeah. Uh, you have to write to everyone. Like, I think there was like four Gus Robertses, who's the name I am in, True Seekers. Did you, you to, get you Elton John's? I don't think we did. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Amazon would have thought of that, right? Yeah. Okay, fine. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, you have to... I got... After doing Shaun of the Dead, I ended up... I was in... Like, I got into a lift and Sade was in it. Oh. 
and she was really fucking steely with me. I was like, hey. I don't think, hopefully she didn't recognise me or she didn't, she was just being steely. But I was like, uh, hey, and she would kind of... Was it all that scripted? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, everything we do is, is totally scripted. Anything that comes, anything we do during rehearsals and it, it gets a universal laugh, then that will go in. But it's all scripted. Because we have so much to shoot. Yeah. That you, we just haven't got time. Plus we were shooting on film as well, so... You can hear the money pouring out the bottom of the camera, you know. <laughs> but when you're doing with that particular scene in rehearsals, did the artist collection change from what scene? Don't stop me now. Yeah, no, the um, from pulling the records out of the box oh, sort I see, of thing. I see, so, I see. so you know, you mentioned Stone Roses, you mentioned Dara Straits, you mentioned Batman soundtrack. You know, it's kind of do they? Don't know. I'm not yeah. sure. I think that was it. I think yeah. what we had was it. It's but the idea that you have to kind of go and. Oh, yeah, why do you want to use the, the, the name of the Batman soundtrack? Well, because we're going to use it to, uh, to, yeah. to gravitate. Yeah, I, did, I had, you yeah. know, I didn't care about, <laughs> I don't care about any Batman soundtrack, really. Uh, um, we're going to watch so that it that was now. Edgar and Simon's team. Problem. Now, some of these are limited. Whoa, 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 what was that? Um, I think it was Blue Monday. Man, there was an original press out. Oh, fuck's sake. Purple Rain. Oh, sign of the time. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack. Throw it. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Oh, Dire Straits. Throw it. <laughs> oh! Oh, Star Wars. Uh, no. Second coming. I like it. Oh, Sade. That's Liz's. Yeah, but she did dump you. Oh! Oh, fuck this. I'm going to the shed. You said it was locked. I felt bad throwing all those records at those people, at Mark and Mary. Were they, like, protected in any way? Edgar doesn't like to protect. <laughs> uh, Edgar likes to shoot uh, and see what happens. Just really throw it hard. Really, really, go, really go hard. Really hit him hard. <laughs> that, and that, during that scene, shooting that scene, we got the idea to uh, make Paul. Really? Yeah, during that scene, because it was, like, it just rained so much, we were just under an easy up, just getting pissed on for three days. And then we were like, oh, it'd be great if she shot a film in New Mexico and it was hot. And, and then someone was like, oh, it's about an alien. And it's like, oh, yeah, the alien comes down. And, and that's, where, that's where we got the idea from. That's, that's a, where it was hatched. That's amazing. Do you have, like, um, ideas in, you know, in terms of... Because you've taken this brilliant path down writing as, as well as, as acting, in terms of, you know, you talk about all this, the, the horror that you watched as a child and stuff like that. Do you have, like, specific projects and sort of genres of things that you want to write, that you want to make? No, although I thought about this the other day, actually, and I think I lean toward horror, you know. I really like it. I really like being afraid and, and now trying to make other people afraid if I can, you know. Yeah. I've written a film that we've sold and we're going to shoot next year called Svalter. Yeah. about an English family that goes to stay on an Airbnb in Sweden and find out the island's full of fucking lunatics. Are you in it as well? or I might, I might be. I can't resist. <laughs> I, went, it... I, I, did some, I did acting last week for the first time in, like, nine months. Wow. Because I, I started... A, I'm doing a thing with Joss Whedon for HBO. Yeah. And I shot some stuff in October. And then it kind of wrapped and we locked down. And we'd been on a hiatus since, since then, you know. Yeah. And so I had to go back last week and do actings. Was it weird? Oh, it was so weird. <laughs> and I was terrified. Is that good, though? Is it good? I'm always to... sick before everything I do. I'm always up the night before being sick. Physically sick? Physically sick. Just shitting, legs shaking like a shitting dog, <laughs> as my mate Smiley would say. <laughs> um, just, uh, I just don't want to mess up. I just want to do a good job. And it just, terrif it just terrifies me that I'm going to fuck it, you know. Especially someone like Joss Whedon, he's like a massive Hollywood director. It's like you couldn't do it in front of worse people. <laughs> but uh, I did it and it was great. And like halfway through the day, I texted my girlfriend and say, I think I remember why I like it so much. I still got it. I got it. <laughs> I got it. Have you, with, with the kind of lockdown and stuff, have you, you've painted as something that, is that something yeah. you've always done? No, I did it when I was younger. When I was like 20, I painted a lot and then just kind of lost it because... I was 20, and then it's only in the last, like, 10 months that I've got into it again. I think it's a, a way to not be mad during lockdown, you know, to cope with being anxious and afraid and what's going to happen? Are my kids all right? Mm -hmm. um, am I going to be all right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just a way to, 
to cope with things, really, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and an outlet, I guess, for... But I've done, like, 200... They're amazing. <laughs> ..paintings in... I don't know if they're amazing. They're they, kind of... They, they really sort of... I don't know, they tell stories, I think. They've got... I think it's... I bless you for that. I feel embarrassed that you might think it as art, but it's like if a man had... Or a woman had, like, a minor stroke... It's like something a doctor might say, hey, you should maybe paint, and it might bring... You might convalesce, you know. I think it's that kind of art at this point. But I love it. I've got a space, and I sit in there, and my girlfriend doesn't like the smell of white spirit, so it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like garlic for a vampire, so she never comes down. And, I just sit, and I've got, like, a little drawer, and I'll hide a couple of twirls in there. And, uh, got your got your techno like, techno plane? Yeah, of course. I see techno plane, and I go in, and she's like, "You haven't eaten twirl, have you? <laughs> I haven't had a twirl, have you?" Like, no, because I'm <laughs> rubbing my beard with white spirit, so she doesn't smell Hiding my twirl. Hiding them behind paint, painting on top of the twirl. Painting rappers. on top of the twirls. Yeah. <laughs> That's but if you haven't, you there there's it's a really brilliant way of kind of expressing, yeah. you know, and like you saying. It's I've so got subjective. Gallery, I've got a gallery and stuff, That's, so... Yeah. But I like painting really massive, big things and... Colourful, bright things as well. But he says, like... yeah, do the little ones, they sell better. Like, Fuck off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I, no, no one's got... Not many people have got a room, like, that big for uh, a canvas in their house, <laughs> which I get, I'm understand, but I'm starting to... I can't move in the building <laughs> without getting paint on every bit of clothing, which is kind of nice. Yeah. I feel like, you know, when my kids are there and my girlfriend's home and, you know, the nanny's there and I'm covered in paint, I feel like Picasso a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, as like, I said to you earlier. This is a good life, you know. Yeah, stay clear of the ear. Um, I wanted to ask about your kids and music, if you don't mind, because it was, it was I loved hearing you talk about how you're kind of playing them everything, yeah. really, in terms yeah. of, you know, giving them, because I find it really interesting. I've got two boys of seven and 12, and they have no concept of genre of music, which I think is really kind of healthy in yeah. a way, because you're kind of giving them a massive menu of things. Yeah. And it's about how they react yeah. to it, rather than it, oh, we're just, you know, you should listen to this, you should listen to that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel responsible as a, as, a, as a father to sons, you know, to make sure they grow up as good men, and part of that is listen to all of this shit. What do you think? What's your... I remember, like, my, when, I, when my nine-year-old was... Like four, I remember saying to him, "What's this? Roots or culture?" And he said, "Roots, no culture." <laughs> well, we were listening to like Burning Spear or something like that. Roots, no culture. Uh, but he loves everything. He has an opinion on everything, and he doesn't like it when I play Hard House, like really loud. When I pick him up, he gets really embarrassed. No, I just He's think embarrassed. How do you not think I'm the coolest dad in town? <laughs> you know. <laughs> We've got, we got a hard house. I've got Sterling Moss banging out of mine. He said, turn it down, what are you doing? He likes Kiss, he loves Kiss. Yeah. But we have, pro we have, I have issues with Kiss just in terms of some of the lyrics are... I sound like an old man now, but uh, it's part of my responsibility that he doesn't think... He doesn't objectify women, yeah. do you know what I mean? That's why you won't of, show him the boat that rocks yet. That's why I won't show him the boat that rocks, you know. <laughs> I, I want him to be a good guy. <laughs> But, yeah, I have a responsibility. We listen to everything. Sunday, we just play records all morning. And Brilliant. I see him mixing every now, because we've got Dex, and we, he mixes every now and again. And I've got, like, endless footage of just, <laughs> just him behind, just moving things around <laughs> and just enjoying it, you know. Have you ever thought of, um, of making music? Has that ever been anything you've ever wanted to do? No, I mean, I've got... There's, there's a couple of good guys called Ammo and Andy, who run a label called Tidy. It's like a hard house label. Mm. And they do a weekender every year, like a hard house weekender. And a couple of years ago, I went. And it had been a while since I went out. I loved it, but it was fucking horrendous, you know. We were in a chalet in Pontins. <laughs> yeah. And I got VIP treatment, so my chalet had a half bath. <laughs> uh, it was uh, something, like, <laughs> something like Alan Partridge might say. Uh, yeah, we had like a half bath. Uh, and I was, I loved it. I loved going there, but I was glad that I was glad when we escaped. Like, <laughs> did you day. do that thing again? I'm just going like to go to the toilet, and you left yeah, again. I said, <laughs> I said to them, I'm going to go now. I'm going to go and because I was meant to be doing like a Q and A on the Sunday, <laughs> and I went and woke my girlfriend and her mate up. I said, Come on, let's fucking go. Let's go. <laughs> it's like six a.m. Let's just go now. And we went. We left. It was great. <laughs> but it was, you know, but they wanted me to DJ this year. 
they got like a pub set up in there. Yeah. And I was going to do a hard house set. But again, it just panicked. I was panicked. You know, I spent hours practicing and just thinking, it, it feels too vanity. It's not for me. I don't think I've earned that, you know. People train for years to want to be a hard house DJ or any kind of DJ to play a, a thing in front of a thousand people. It's like, I don't feel like I've earned it and it, I wouldn't enjoy it. I, I, I feel like a, a charlatan, you know. <laughs> yeah. Did it happen then or not? No, because well, COVID. COVID came along. Save my ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, don't, I didn't remember. There was probably 8,000 people there, but wow. probably only 12,000 teeth. <laughs> uh, it's like history. Time hasn't been... <laughs> Time has not been kind to the hard house lot. Just lots of no... I wonder why. Yeah, darling! <laughs> Just no teeth at all. And, uh, yeah, they looked at me. It's like the only time people were looking at my full mouth of teeth with awe. Envy. With envy. <laughs> what have you been watching in lockdown? Me and my girlfriend watch nonsense. Mm-hmm. We don't watch anything. We don't... We got into... Chernobyl. Yeah. I fucking loved it. We watched it like twice back to back. But we watched stuff like um, Bargain Love in Brits in the Sun. <laughs> yeah. Bargain Love in Brits in Blackpool. Uh, <laughs> Life Below Deck. Uh, oh, what's that? Life Below Deck is about a big yacht. It's a docu-soap. Yeah. And it's about like the 10 people that work on the boat and then the people that charter it. And, and the whole thing is about what tip you get at the end. So they tip big. Some people tip big. Some people drop 15G and wow. that's, they get like $1,000 each. But some people left like 1000 and then they get... People hate them. It's amazing. I got a bit obsessed with those massive yachts. I was in last year when we were allowed Humble to brag. go... <laughs> <laughs> we were in Barcelona and there was this, this row of these huge Ridiculous, fucking things with like two helicopters on top. And I spent like... I kid you not, about six hours online just looking at these things and seeing, like, you know when you can kind of do property porn? Yeah. Almost kind of like yacht porn. It was just kind of like, yeah. God, look at another Would one. Would you like it? Would you like to? Have you ever no. been No. Would you? Have you? You must no. have been on some no, fancy never, pants. No, like that. I went in a helicopter once, and that was, I shit myself a lot. <laughs> uh, no, it was one shit myself, but it went last a long time. Okay. Uh, I liked it. I think I'd like it. I, I went on canal boats a lot when I was a younger man. And I feel it would just you be like a... member of the Canal Club. Member of the Canal Club, yep. And uh, I think I'd like... I think it's just like a bigger version of a canal boat. <laughs> I don't think you could take one of those big yachts up the tiny big flight. I would love to see a helicopter. Just on top of a little eight-berth eight birth canal boat. The Jenny Wren steaming out of Amersham on the Grand Union. With little shitty tyres on the side yeah. to stop it from, like, scraping against off. the edge. That would be amazing. <laughs> I think Simon and I wrote a thing about <laughs> canal boats, like a canal. And it ended up with the boat sinking and him and I making love in a single bunk. And I don't know why we never made it. <laughs> it was like a docu, you know, like a mockumentary. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the deal with a wig? Wig? Simon's wig. Oh, I see. <laughs> Not uh, your wig, that's your hair. Look, as, as a producer and a co-writer, he, you know, he obviously has... Uh, say <laughs> in how he looks and he wanted a wig yeah is I there mean, something unveiled because there is an unveiling okay of, of some sorts, sorts yeah. okay because it's mentioned in the, in the yeah. first episode where oh it's my, kind of like it cost us so much money as well with it? really oh my god the it wig looks cost so cheap four figures <laughs> Shut it was up. so much money and i was like do we need it do you really need it and he was like yeah i want the wig he was like oh okay <laughs> but it means it means the sound department won't get fleeces when we rap. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but he was cool with that, so... What did you... What music did you write into the script for, for Truth Seekers? Did you have much did what? music did you write into the script? Was there much...? No, I don't think I wrote anything in terms of... Yeah. It was all, it was all like, incidental, creepy stuff, and we watched a lot of... We watched, like, loads of Arthur C. Clarke, and, like, we, we had, like, the phrase... At one point he says, it started to rain worms. <laughs> Like, we had that, we'd play that all the time, just him saying, raining worms, and put little things on, and we watched a lot of exorcisms. Okay. Which made us laugh, but then every now, <laughs> one in ten, you'd watch and you'd think, oh, that's really fucking creepy. It really <laughs> remained with me, you know. They were always in Italy or in Spain. Is that a thing online where you can watch exorcisms? Yeah. Oh, I know what I'm doing tonight, that's for sure. Some of them are crazy, like bonkers and stuff. But, yeah, every one in ten, you'd get one, you'd think, oh, that was, it looked fucking real. <laughs> 
Um, two quick things before we run out of time. Um, I also wanted to check to see if anybody had any questions because we can get a couple of questions from people if you want. We have to follow quite strict social distancing and stuff. So if you do, I'll come back in a couple of minutes. But there's I two... want French kiss any of you, I'm afraid <laughs> to say. Fight With My Family. Yes. I loved that film. Yeah, uh, I meant what I said. That was the best fun I ever had on a film. So I mean, the cast just amazing. I'm such a big fan of Jack Loudon. I think he should be the next James oh, he's Bond. Amazing. Yeah, me too. Uh, Florence is just brilliant, but it was so much fun to watch. I watched it with with my my two boys, yeah, and they freaking loved it. I didn't. I never met The Rock at all until like a year and a half later when we went to. What's the? Have you ever been to that film festival high up in the mountains in Utah? Oh my god! Oh, it's just mega Sundance. fucking high. Yeah, what did you Sundance. say? Sundance. Sundance. Yeah, yeah, I went to Sundance, and he was going to be there, and I was going to meet him and stuff. But it's uh, it's so high that I suffer with. I can't. Oh, I can't breathe. I can't catch my breath or anything. And, like, in the hotel I was at, they sold, like, massive cans of oxygen in the gift shop. So you could... There were people just walking about with cans of oxygen. And, and like, at night, I'd get up and go to the toilet, but I'd have to stop and have a, a little puff on the, on the way. It was really fucking weird. <laughs> so, like, when I finally got to meet the rock and stuff... Oh, I was just out of breath all the time. Anyway, he's just, like... He just didn't respect me straight. He just thought, oh, fat, you can't breathe. And then he kind of turned off me straight away. He was like, no, it's really high, really high up. Oh, I was doing an impression for Simon to make him laugh of Harry Potter. Oh, and he's always out of breath because he's just come off the Quidditch pitch. Oh, dear. Oh, hello, Harry. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I'll just do, do that for ages. He makes us laugh. Oh, my God. Um, if you haven't seen Fight With My Family, it's so, so good. It's brilliant. And also Attack the Block. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we watched that. It was another, it was a, it's been another lockdown watch as well. It was brilliant to rewatch that film. It's good fun. I really like it. Really great. What Joe did with the music on that was was yeah. He's was, like Edgar, you know. He has a, he has his yeah. His really, mindset. really, really brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and, for and chatting. In particular, this kind of crazy, mad world that we're in as well. Really appreciate you coming in person. I like it. I think Thanks. I prefer it to before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, and thanks to all you guys as well, because I know it's it's a big ask as well for people to come and, you know, sort of be in big groups and things like that. So we really appreciate you being here in person. And I know there are people watching online as well and streaming. So thank you so much. Um, I'm going to say goodbye and thank you. We're going to leave and I'm going to leave everybody with okay, something. Okay, fine. Do I go now? Hold on. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Frost. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Some random. For fuck's sake. Okay, Diane, uh, get mum some West Ham. David, kill the Queen. What? The jukebox. Uh, Liz, Ed, grab some weaponry. What about the rifle? It's not real. Cocktails. What do you mean? The flaming spirits, Trump, Huey, Sambuca, Brandy, get a racket. Light it. What? The whole place could go up. What then? How about the pool? Okay, John. It's time at the bar. Soundtrack to Shaun of the Dead. That is, of course, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the one and only, the fabulous, one of my favourite people in the world, Nick Frost. My huge thanks to Nick for taking the time to join us at the London Podcast Festival and for all of you who made the effort to come along and also to watch online. We massively appreciate it. Truth Seekers is available to watch on Amazon Prime now and is well worth it. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my chat with Edgar Wright, in which he reveals the song that was the alternative to Don't Stop Me Now. You will not believe it when you hear what it could have been. 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do have a look at our little YouTube channel too, where I put together a regular show as a companion piece to this podcast. And this week we've got a fantastic collection of guests. Pippa Bennett Warner talking about Gangs of London, Roadkill, Harlots, amongst many other things. We also have Arian Bakari, who plays Lord Carlo in His Dark Materials, talking about season two, which is coming to our TVs on the 8th of November. And a young lady by the name of Susan Wakoma, who plays Helen alongside Nick Frost in Truthseekers. Now, in a wonderful turn of events, we have a lovely connection between this week's guest, Nick Frost, and next week's guest in the form of Mr. Stephen Price, the composer who not only did the score for Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, but also The World's End, that starred Nick Frost, Attack the Block, that starred Nick Frost. He'll also be talking about winning an Oscar for his score for Gravity and working on his two new films, The Animation Over the Moon and David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. (laughs) 